0: Shabbat shalom. This is Rabbi Thomas Davis-Hart from Beth Elohim Messianic Synagogue bringing me a message on Romans chapter 14, which addresses God's laws versus the traditions of men. So I want to bring before you a dissertation on Romans 14. And in the past, I've been asked to explain this chapter because of certain statements made by Paul, I'll refer to as Shaul, and the anti-Torah people are inclined to cite in defense of the false doctrine that God's Torah is dead. Let me start off first by identifying about whom Sha'ul is speaking, and in order to do so we have to overlap the chapters somewhat. So from chapter 14.1 to 15.6 Sha'ul is speaking of two groups, those with quote-unquote strong trust and those with quote-unquote weak trust. The latter are depicted as feeling they must abstain from meat or wine, and or observe certain days as holy, while the former need no such qualms. Now, is he writing about God's Torah here? Or is he talking about man-made traditions? I'll show you that he's speaking of man-made traditions, be they Jew or Gentile. Many well-meaning Christians, on the basis of this chapter, ask Messianic Jews why they observe God's festivals observe the biblical sabbath and practice kashrut and in the same breath messianic jews are criticized for having weak faith are trying to work out their salvation and are condemned for adhering to the jewish practices meaning god's torah god's instructions so to be clear about what shaul or paul is teaching we have to observe that the specifics of this passage is clearly in the context of a gentile culture and gentile religious context, and not a Jewish one. After all, he's writing to a congregation in Rome, the center of paganism at that time. And this passage certainly does not teach that following Jewish practices is a sign of weak faith. Rather, it exhorts believers, Jewish or gentile, whose trust is quote-unquote strong, not to look down on those whose trust they consider quote-unquote weak. Precisely the opposite of the behavior described by my example of Gentile Christians. This passage teaches that the weak not to pass judgment on the strong or failing to observe practices the weak consider important. Paul is saying that envious distinctions and disputes should give way to caring for one another and mutual upbuilding. We should imitate the Messiah, who laid aside all his heavenly inheritance to live among us and to be the paschal sacrifice or the passover sacrifice for our wickedness in retrospect the rabbis of old taught that the gifted the rich and the learned should not boast against those who have not received those blessings from god we are not to have a holier-than-thou attitude And remember that all Israel should care for each other and should build up the community. The problem in this passage and the one most Christians stumble over does not come from the behavior it teaches, but from identifying precisely who are the strong and the weak. So let's look at some of the possibilities, and there are at least four. Number one, the weaker Gentile believers who abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, as in 1 Corinthians 8 and 10, but Paul, in this context, does not here deal with idol worship, even though there are at least a dozen parallels between this passage and that one. Number two, the weak or legalists, either Gentile or Jewish, who believe they can earn a righteous status before God by their works. I should also like to point out here that obedience after coming to Yeshua is not works, but is commanded and is a natural response for a great a gift From the Father. A major point in Romans is that those who hold to the doctrine of works are utterly lacking in trust. That's contrary to what Paul is writing about here because he's addressing believers who are weak in trust, not unbelievers. Number three, another problem is that many well meaning believers bring to this passage a presupposition that the so called New Testament abrogates or ends the Torah god's instructions in the old testament they see the weak as messianic jews who still observe jewish details or torah because they have not realized there's no longer any need to do so according to this gentile christians and jewish believers who have freed themselves from the law are not to look down on their weaker brothers for abstaining from pork celebrating passover or fasting on yom kippur obviously this is incorrect for Yahweh never changes his moral convictions. Check out Malachi 3.6. It's not permissible to steal from your neighbor one day and then okay the next. On the other hand, Messianic Jews who do practice obedience to God's instructions have no ground for having a holier-than-thou attitude about those who don't. This is a direct command not to judge your fellow believers. Something I teach. I teach obedience to God's Torah, but not to judge your brother who does not keep it according to your perception. The New Testament, so-called, it really is the Brit Kaddashah, Renew, Refresh Covenant, does not abrogate God's Torah. On the contrary, the New Testament is given as Torah, as evidenced by the book of Hebrews 8, 6. And let me read this passage from the Jewish New Testament, and let me remind you that the subject of the preceding passages and the high priest or Cohen Gadol. it reads, Quote, but now the work Yeshua has been given to do is far superior to theirs, just as the covenant he mediates is better, for this covenant has been given to us as Torah on the basis of better promises. Unquote. It is true that Yeshua's sacrifice has altered the meaning of temple sacrifices and eliminates the need for at least some of them, as evidenced in the book of Hebrews, chapter 7 and 10. And I'd like to remind you that Yeshua himself said in Matthew 5.17 he did not come to, quote, abolish the Torah, unquote. I should also like to point out that Jeremiah writes that this refreshed, renewed covenant for the covenant with Abraham and Moshe still stands, is given to the house of Judah and the house of Israel, not the Gentile church or Christians. Take note of that fact. But note, they, the quote, unquote, church, Christians must be grafted into Israel, or they will not receive the promises. Grafted into Israel means you follow the house rules by the Father. The same rules that apply to Israel apply to those who plan to follow Yeshua and enter that narrow gate one day. It is clear, however, from the passage itself, that the weak cannot be equated with observant messianic Jews, for nothing in Judaism requires a Jew to be a vegetarian as listed in verse 2 of this chapter. Also, nothing in Judaism requires a Jew from refraining from wine. On the contrary, wine is so much a part of Jewish ritual that it has lent an aura of sanctity, which has made alcoholism a rarity among Jews. Did you get that? Number four, the weak are believers, either Gentile or Jewish, who have not yet grown sufficiently in their faith to give up attachments to various aesthetic practices self-deniers, abstainers, self-mortifiers, hermits, recluse, solitary, and so on and so forth, and man-made calendar observances. These activities are those of legalists who believe that such practices will earn them salvation. Again, we are not speaking about obedience to God's Torah slash instructions for the believer when these activities are questioned in arguments over opinions. We see they are not quote, fully convinced in their own minds, unquote, not, quote, free of self-doubt, unquote, but rather, quote, unquote, upset or even destroyed, and thus able to, quote, fall away or stumble, unquote. This is why Paul calls them weak. There are four types of weak brothers. First are Gentiles who want to avoid the appearance of evil by maintaining physical and emotional distance, from anything that reminds them of their previous idolatrous practices and insist that everybody else act the same. If they do not drink one, wine, wine, no one should. And the list can go on and on. Second are Gentiles who have adopted elements of Jewish practice as part of their faith with believing in Yeshua. They have, as it were, bought what they considered the whole package, written and oral Torah, and haven't yet unwrapped it and decided what is really important to them. On the other side of the coin, it's common for someone in the Christian setting, having accepted Yeshua, to discover that some of the practices he has picked up in that setting are not essential to his faith. Third are Gentiles or Jews who have brought into their faith practices found in other religions with which they are familiar. and these practices appear or appeal to their religiosity but are irrelevant or even contrary to the gospel of the kingdom. Fourth, are Messianic Jews who have not grasped how the incorporation of the refreshed covenant into God's Torah and the presence of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, is to be applied. They therefore hang on and compulsively observe all ritual and ceremonial detail even though it is not of Yeshua's Judaism, but it derives from 12th to 14th century rabbinicalism. But weak is the wrong word and certainly misapplied for missionic Jews who observe God's Torah. In closing, I want to take some of these verses individually. Verse 2, eats anything or only vegetables. Yeshua is not proposing that God's dietary laws have been abolished. Christians are inclined to cite certain scriptures to show that the dietary laws are abrogated such as Mark 7.19. Unfortunately, this passage is not talking about permitted and unpermitted food, but about ritual hand-washing as taught by the oral Torah, man-made traditions, in relation to washing of hands. That was done before temple service. Nothing in this passage suggests Yeshua is talking about unpermitted food. The subject here is about placing man's tradition above God's Torah, God's instructions. In Acts ten seventeen through 19 when considering the vision of Peter, the subject is not about non-kosher or trife creatures, but unpermitted food is used as an analogy. Christian commentators ignore the plain statement a few verses later when the meaning of the vision is clarified and resolved for Peter where it is written, quote, God has shown me not to call any person unclean or impure. Unpure. So the vision is about persons and not food. In Galatians 2, 11 through 16, we see the subject of circumcision and more importantly, Torah rules. And let me be very specific here. Paul is talking about oral Torah. This is rabbinical Judaism. Oral Torah rules or traditions of men and not about god's instructions part of the problem was that of fellowship jewish believers were cautioned not to compel ritual purity onto fellow gentile believers for the greater good of fellowship eating in that time with gentiles was forbidden by the oral torah the oral traditions the traditions of man some have seen that it was unpermitted food that gentiles ate that caused a division between believing Jews and Gentiles when they ate in fellowship, but the greater concern was that they were not ritually clean. And this brings us to a major point of Acts 10 and 11, where we learn that Gentile believers in Yeshua were purified by Yahweh Elohim, God, so that Peter could consider himself ritually pure when eating with them. But when faced by overly critical Jews from, from Jacob, He backed off and became a hypocrite, or at least was intimidated, into not being true to what he believed. Again, this is about men, purity, laws, the oral Torah, and not about permitted or unpermitted food. Verses 3 and 4. Paul condemns both here. The one who eats anything, not referring to unpermitted food, might take pride in having thought the matter through and freed himself from his fears, looking down on his so-called weaker brother, with his self-created fence around his self-created law. But the abstainer is more likely to develop a holier-than-thou attitude and pass judgment on the other as careless or libertine. And in this letter, boasting has already been condemned as well as judging. Verse 5. One person considers some days more holy than others. This reference is not to God's festivals and Sabbath observance, but to any days that a believer by tradition or by his own creation might have regarded as especially holy. A great example of this is the Catholic Church. In the past, abstaining from meat on Fridays, saints' days, etc., Paul says that each believer should be fully convinced in his own mind, the principle for dealing with doctrinal, and practical disputes applies to adiaphora, that is, matters about which the Bible is indifferent. Where Scripture gives clear word, all personal opinion must give way. But where the word of God is subject to various possible interpretations, let each be persuaded in his own mind. Now, this is clearly does not include cash root. That's talking about the foods that we can eat and not eat. God's commandments. Sabbath observance and obedience to his instructions is given in scriptures. Yeshua did not abrogate his own laws. He is in the Father and the Father is in him. He is the Father. He is God. It makes absolutely no sense to think that he would hang on the cross and get rid of his own laws when he lived them and taught them. Verse 12, judging and boasting do not befit people who standing before God is equal. Jew or Gentile, we are equal before God. We will all, all have to give an account to Him in that day. Verse thirteen. This is the central point of the chapter. It's a midrash, a teaching on Leviticus nineteen fourteen, which says, "You are not to place a stumbling block before the blind." Unquote. The concept is that you're not to bring harm to somebody who's helpless. The rabbis interpreted "blind." metaphorically are as those who are unlearned in torah the meaning of blind would include both those who are strong in trust but considered prone to pride and those who are weak in trust verse fourteen nothing is unclean in itself paul is not espousing moral relativism we can't pick and choose which laws of god we will obey as to other matters where there is not a clear word from scripture We have some leeway. His remark here does not have anything to do with moral behavior, but with tumah, ritual uncleanliness, as espoused by rabbinical law, or if you prefer, halakha or the oral Torah. Verse 16. Do not let what you know is good be spoken of as bad. Means that one need not be in bondage to man. Man made rules about food such as that offered to idols. Yet we are not to flaunt our freedom to eat before a weaker brother. And the next expository rendering tells us why. Verse 21 and 2, not causing your brother to stumble. In the Talmud, Shaul, or Paul, was very adept in this area, as it is written, quote, It was taught, if there are things which are allowed, but which some treat is prohibited, you must not permit them in their presence, unquote. We are not to let our freedom within God's instructions inhibit the growth of a weaker brother by displays of spiritual pride. People are at very uh, different maturity levels in God, and we must take care that we not do anything or eat anything or say anything that might cause them to stumble because they have not yet reached the level of maturity where they would understand that Torah is not being violated. Verse uh, 23, trust is the axiom of this passage, but according to revelation along with his trust must be obedience to God's Torah. And James also writes in his letter, quote, show me your trust by your deeds, for even the demons believe and they tremble, unquote there is a huge difference between the laws traditions of men the oral torah and god's torah or instructions and if i could get one thing across to christians in my whole career it would be that god's torah his instructions are the same yesterday today and forever just as he is and that the traditions of men are what Christians get confused with God's laws. This should not be so. The the oral Torah or doing away with God's Torah should not be taught in Christianity, but unfortunately it is. So I will continue to put these messages out, guide you to the Torah scriptures in the Bible that validate them, and pray that the Royal HaKodesh will lead you in the way you should go. Shalom.